0: You are listening to a broadcast of Dublin First Baptist Church, Pastor Cameron McGill in Dublin, North Carolina. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist Church and the Lake Church to hear from God's Word. Jesus meeting with His disciples, their last encounter their last opportunity to meet together. And there was some confusion. Do you know sometimes that there's confusion? Jesus had explained heaven. He would explained the plan of his Father. And then Thomas spoke up. Everybody was thinking it, but there's always going to be one that speaks up. Ooh, 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 I've got a question. And on doubting, Thomas said, Lord, you've told us about going away. But we don't know where you're going. We don't know the way. How can we know the way if we don't know where we're going? Literally, Thomas said, we don't get it. And Jesus said, well, let me sum it up to you this way. I am. And when he said the word I am, it might not mean much to y'all. Those two little words, three letters total, I am. But that identifies him as Yahweh it identifies that He is God, that He is sovereign. So He says, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me, except by the way that is being prepared by what's going to take place over these next hours. Now think about that just for a moment. The name of Jesus. He is the way. We live in a world where everyone is looking for the way. Many times we say about folks, they have lost their way. The fact of the matter is, many times they've just never found the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the only way. The Bible says there is a way that seems right unto man, but the end is the way of destruction. But Jesus said, I am the way to life. Life more abundant and life eternal. He's the way. And then he says, I am the truth. Now, we all obviously live in a time where there's very much question, is there truth? Or is everything relative? Are there any absolutes? Yes, there are. If I were to ask you this morning, Brother Andy, would you go out and cut me a, 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 a two-by-four, and I want it exactly 24 inches long. I want it two feet long. And Andy comes back with a little board about this long, and he says, there you go. And I said, no, 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 Andy, that board is not two feet. And Andy says, well, to you it not, might not be two feet, but to me it's two feet because everything is relative. You would say, you're crazy. The fact is, there are standards of measurements. And when it comes to right and wrong, morality, immorality, good and evil, there is a compass, there is a measure. Jesus said, I am truth. Everything is measured by my righteousness. Everything is measured by me. And then he says, I am the life. Everyone's looking for life, the meaning of life, answering three basic questions Where did I come from? What am I doing here? Where am I going when I die? Jesus said, I am life. I am life in your creation. I am life in your existence. I will be life in the midst of your death. I stood with the lady three days ago and she said, Preacher, pray. I said that you'll get better. She said, No, that I can just go home. I'm so ready. She lives in Beaver Dam and she said, I'm not talking about Beaver Dam. I'm talking about my eternal home. And she was excited because she realized that there was a life awaiting her beyond this one. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Do you notice Jesus gives a three-part outline there? I'm in good company. I want to share just a couple of thoughts in the brief time that we have this morning on the subject, Jesus, the only name. And my prayer is that when we leave here in just a few moments, that the only thought upon your heart Would be Jesus What a beautiful What a powerful What a wonderful name it is Jesus The only name Father take over this time of study and worship God that you would be glorified That the saints of God would be unified Around a common purpose and a common theme Around the name Jesus The name that saves The name that sanctifies. The name that satisfies. The only name. The name of Jesus. Jesus the only name it is the name that many today use only in profanity it is the name that some think is nothing more than a mere figment of history others would say a great teacher a great prophet but we take Jesus at his word when he said I am the way the truth and the life three things number one Understand today that Jesus is the only name of salvation. There are not ten names that we can come into the presence of God. There are not ten ways to God. Someone once said, well, getting to heaven's like getting to California. There are a lot of ways there. You just got to make sure you get there. Friend, I want to tell you, I was in California last week. California and heaven are nothing alike. There may be a lot of ways to get to, to California, but there, as the old country preacher said, ain't but one way to get to heaven. And you might say, well, that's mighty narrow-minded. And most of you have heard this illustration, but there might be a chance that some of you haven't. You and I only had one way to get here. If that makes sense, say amen. amen. And for us to think that there are multiple ways to get here would be just absolutely crazy. You get married and you decide we're going to start a family. You don't sit down and say, well, let's discuss all of our options that are on the table. Friend, there ain't but one option on the table and there's only one option to get to heaven. You can't discuss it. You can't come up with plan B. There's not a back door, a side door. There's one door and his name is Jesus. The Bible says in Acts chapter number 4 verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other for there is none other name under, under heaven given among men whereby we must. Be saved. The realization is that we need to accept a couple of things. Number one, the reality of our penalty, that God set a penalty. For our sin. Now you might be here today and say, well that doesn't pertain to me. Many people today believe that when they are born, they are born just perfect. Uh, David and Beth Foster are now in Shelby and they're waiting on their next grandbaby. His name's going to be Grayson and I hope he gets here real soon because David's working a booth for us at the convention. I need this baby to get here, you know. I hate to be self-centered, but okay. Um, But they're waiting and when that baby's born, he's going to come out and they're going to count his fingers and his toes. They're going to do some tests and listen to his heart and listen to him breathe and monitor some things and prayerfully they're going to say he's perfect. Everything is just right. But there's a problem, beloved. There's something that you can't see. It doesn't matter if he's the perfect weight and got all the perfect parts and he's cute and cuddly. I mean the prettiest baby whatever's been seen. He is a sinner by birth don't take that run with it and say oh if something happens and this child were to pass away before he grows up he's going to go to hell absolutely not but understand that child will not have to do one thing except be born to inherit a sin debt when you and I were born the Bible said that we were literally born dead in our trespasses and sins we need to accept that and acknowledge that that there's something missing that there was something wrong that there was something undone about us literally like a whole in our heart and realize not only that there's a reality of our penalty the Bible said the wages of sin is death but also that there's a requirement for our pardon but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now you might be here and you say, well that offends me telling me that I'm a sinner. That offends me that telling me I was born wrong, I was born bad, I was born... Listen, I want to tell you, friend, you don't have to teach a child to behave bad. You have to teach a child to behave good. We understand that. But thanks be to God that God saw our need. He saw that we were sinners. He saw that we were unfit, that we were unable to access Him. So He loved us enough that He sent His only begotten and son to make an access to make a way. When Jesus said I am a way. Be grateful God made that way. The only name for salvation is Jesus. You might be here today and you might be saying well you know We're living in a world where there are a lot of religions and a lot of faiths. Uh, How do we know that we have it right? I'm glad you asked. There is something that separates us from every other religion. The religion of Christianity, the faith of Christianity, is the only faith where literally God comes and indwells us. God bears witness with us. Listen, as an eight-year-old little boy, when I prayed and received the Lord Jesus Christ, I knew beyond any doubt that something had happened. Literally that God God had moved in. When I did good, it made me feel uh, well knowing that I'm bringing Him glory. When I did wrong, it broke my heart knowing that I had offended the Holy Spirit that lived within me. There was a clarity about who I was that it was something different, something changed, even as a little boy. There is one name for salvation, the only name that we could cry out, and it is Jesus. Number two, Jesus is also the only name for Surrender. Now I want you to get this very clearly this morning. You might think that surrender is a negative word and it means defeat. Actually, surrender means victory. Now think about how we typically live our lives as a Christian. If we're not careful, we'll live in a constant defense. Young people, I'm grateful for you. Scattered around the sanctuary and here on the front, you're, you're, you're going to be taught at, at a young age, we need to be careful as a Christian to state, to say no to this and to say no to that and to say no to this and to say no to this say no to that. And that's important to say no to a lot of things. I grew up in a very conservative, independent Baptist background. And man, we said no to everything, especially if it was fun. I mean, come on. And the fact is, we were taught to say no to so many things. But if you're not ever taught to say yes to the most important, and that is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and being surrendered to Him, then your whole life is going to be one of defense defense. Think about this. I'm not a hunter. I went hunting one time in my life. My little girl's on this kick. She wants me to take her hunting. I don't know what in the world. My guess is we're going to have to go by the the store and buy boots and a whole outfit and all that on the way, but I don't know. But I said, baby, I'm just not a hunter. That's just not my thing. Go out in the woods and, and kill. It's just not my thing. Nothing wrong with it. It's just not my thing. Other people get into it. It's not my thing. I went hunting one time. I killed a squirrel. I never felt like a liberal so much in my life. I walked over and I looked at that squirrel. I began crying. I killed the squirrel. I am soft-hearted. Got to tell you a side story. I won't make it take long. Man, it's hot in here. I um, was going down Lion Landing Road the other day going to make a visit. And the saddest thing I've ever seen, there was this beautiful old, old hound dog and he was sitting on the side of the road and obviously it looked as though somebody had hit him. And he wasn't dead yet. And that hound dog was, was wailing in pain and making all kind of gyrations. You've never seen such, I mean, just carrying on. I felt so bad, and I slowed down, and I slowed down, and I thought, I don't know what to do. I don't have a gun on me, or I'd get out and put him out of his misery. i, I find a club. i knock him upside the head. This poor dog, he's got to be put put down. You know, he's, just, he, he's hurting, he's writhing in pain. And I was sitting there, and I began to cry, oh, poor dog. Maybe I ought to back up and run over him again. I thought about that. And all of a sudden, the dog jumps up and looks at me. That blamed thing won't do nothing but scratching his back. I rejoiced. I celebrated. I was so excited. He was alive. I mean, I'm a little bit liberal, y'all. Anyway, so I shot this squirrel, and I'm looking at this squirrel, and I shot him with a 22 because that's the only gun I owned was a 22. It's hard to go squirrel hunting with a 22. That's good. Shot him right through one ear and come out. I, mean, I had this squirrel, and I tried to get him back, and, and it didn't work. I didn't really. But I t- picked him up and I, and I took him home. I said, baby, the Bible says if we're going to kill it, we got to eat it. She, and she said, Mm-mm, I ain't cooking this thing. So I took it next door to the neighbor. And she said, I- I'll clean it and I'll cook it and you come over. So I invited three or four people. I thought, we're going to have squirrel for dinner. I went in. I didn't know. I went in and had this little thing like a shish kebab. I mean, it won't even like as big as a chicken wing. Right? But anyway. And I decided I'd never go hunting again. Except a guy started telling me about going wild boar hunting. And I thought I could get into that. Because they said sometimes the wild boars will come at you. And I thought, now that's fair. That's fair. If you hunt something that will literally fight at you back, now that's fair. It's not like going out somewhere and tricking something into somewhere and you know, making him think he's got a girlfriend or making him think he's going to get some apples or some corn and then you just shoot him. That just don't seem fair. That's trickery. But, but if he can come at you and get you, that's fair. I thought I can get into that. And I began thinking about how we spend so much of our life like, listen, if I go wild boar hunting, you know what I'm going to do? They drop me out in the woods. I got my gun. I got all whatever. I'm going to be like this all the time. Right? I'm going to be so scared. Listen, there's a point to all this. I'm going to be so scared that I'm not going to be a bit of good for anybody because I'm going to think, where's that wild boar? Where's that wild boar? He's after me. Listen, we live so much of our life like that. We have an enemy. The Bible says he's a roaring mighty lion seeking whom he might devour. And if we're not careful, we'll have this idea as a Christian that my life is about constantly being on guard and constantly being on the defensive. Well, what's going to come at me today? What's going? Listen, if we'll totally surrender everything to Christ, there's a picture of offense that daily we are facing life head on. Listen, I am already more than a conqueror through Christ. I am already far superior to anything that's going to come against me, not because I am so mighty, but because he is so mighty. Who killed a giant? You, You were in the first service, you couldn't tell. Who killed a giant? David didn't kill no giant. God killed a giant. David said real clearly, I'm no match for this giant, but God is. Who laid down with the lions and defeated the lions? God did. Daniel was there, but God did it. Who went into a fire and quenched it? God did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were there. But you know what? There was a fourth man in the fire. You understand? We need to surrender everything to Christ. And then it it leads us from a life of, I'm just scared to death that something's going to get me today. I'm just scared to death that I'm going to fall into some temptation or some sin's going to snare me. But we literally begin facing life saying, I am totally surrendered to the one, the only one who has conquered death, hell, and the grave, the only one who has conquered my sin, the only one who has conquered my temptation. The only name for surrender. Totally surrendered. My life now is out of my hands. It's not about me doing life and trying to prevent evil from coming in, but just totally surrendered. It's a picture of letting go. Paul said, I've let go of the past that I might reach forth to the future. There's a surrender. Number three, and I'm done. Jesus, the only name of salvation. Jesus, the only name of surrender. But thirdly, Jesus, the only name of service. Who are you serving? I mean, literally, who are you serving? You're living your life one day at a time. Who am I going to serve? Joshua said it this way. You need to choose today whom you will serve. And then he gives them some options. He said you can serve the gods that your father served on the other side of the flood. You can serve the gods of the world in which you live, the society around you. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. When we think about everything in our life, Being about serving God and and literally serving others through the gospel. What a freeing experience it is. And notice it's a personal choice. Joshua wanted, as he spoke to the children of Israel at Shechem on his farewell address, he had one last chance to talk to them. And he wanted them to make the right decision. But ultimately it was up to them. I want to tell you, nobody prepared me for raising teenagers. I say that often. But those that have small children, you just wait. You just wait. You set them down and you talk to them. And you say, here are the decisions before you. Here are the choices you're going to have to make. And I want you to make the right choice. But ultimately, we realize that they get to a point where they make their own choices. We are free moral agents. God allows us to make our own choices. If that were not the case, the moment we got saved, we would have become little robots. We would all be gathered here this morning being little robots, singing our songs. You know, there would be a point where the robot commander would say, lift, ha- lift up holy hands, and we would all do like this, and we would sing. You know, put down holy hands. You know, we would leave at 12 o'clock or whatever, and we would, do, we would be little robots. But no, no, we have daily choices. That I am going to surrender, and I am going to serve the one name. The one name, the name of Jesus. When I do something, I do it in the name of Jesus. When I give something, I give something in the name of Jesus. Are we serving the gods of this world? I have a preacher friend that became convicted and shared with his church these words. Pray for him. He's looking for a church now, by the way. He said, when Joshua said you can serve the gods of this world, one of those gods has become the church. If we're not careful, we'll get our minds around our serving is all about the church. God never called us to serve the church. Did you know that? He called us to serve Him. Now, the church is one of the vehicles that we use to serve Him. But if our whole life revolves around, if we say, well, I'm serving God because I'm faithful to this committee or this group or I attend this or I do this. But at the end of the day, is it making any kingdom impact, any kingdom difference in anybody else's life? If it's not kingdom work and it's just church work, then we're missing the mark. Matthew 16 is a powerful, powerful chapter. It's a conversation between Jesus and Peter. Jesus knew that only Peter would be able to get this conversation and he could go with it. As Jesus met with Peter, he said, Peter, I want to ask you something. He said, Peter, who do people think I am? Now think about this. This is the first century. This is before the crucifixion. This is when Jesus' fame is just being noised about in the King James. It says people are coming and they're listening and they're learning. They're wanting to be healed. They're they're coming. He's feeding thousands. They're curious. And Jesus said, I just want to know what are people saying? It's interesting. Sometimes you'd like to know what people are saying. Sometimes you don't. And Peter said, well, Jesus, some people think you're Moses. Some people think you're Elijah or Elisha. Some people think you're John the Baptist. People just don't know. People just simply do not know. Peter thought this whole conversation was what, what was about people, and then finally Jesus turned it on him and said, "Peter, who do you say that I am?" Now he didn't say, "Peter, who do you think I am?" Peter, who do you know that I am? But he said, "Peter, who do you say that I am?" It's a matter of our testimony and our witness. What are we telling people? I'll wrap this message all up in this cute little package here. If we're truly saved by the name of Jesus, the only name, if we're truly surrendered by Jesus, the only name, and if we're truly serving Jesus, the only name, then everywhere we go, people are going to see Jesus. They're going to hear Jesus. There's no way that we're going to be able to be quiet. There's no way that we're going to be able to neglect the most important message that's out there. Tomorrow night as I get to preach to pastors and, and church leaders and believers that will be gathered in Greensboro, more than likely to be the largest group I've ever gotten to preach to. And I'm excited about that. But I'm excited just to remind servants of God what it's all about. That it's not about the church and churchology and missiology and ecclesiology and all of theologies, But it's more than anything just about Him. Just about loving Him and serving Him and being surrendered to Him. Who is Jesus to you? If Jesus were to ask you as he did Peter, who am I? Who do you say that I am? My prayer is that you would say, thou art Christ. Ah, the son of the living God. Thou art the one that saved me. Thou art the one that I am surrendered to. Thou art the one that I serve faithfully and willingly every day. Why? Because Jesus, there's no other name. Father, we thank you for the clear picture of the gospel this morning.